0: Firefly Willows LIDE presents Revolution featuring your host, Heisei Luckner.
1: Revolution. Thank you for listening and joining in once again. And as normal, we start our show off with our roundtable discussion. And this week, or this month, I'm actually joined by my co-host, John Carasella. Good morning. And intentional creativity teacher and visionary artist, Annette Wagner. Hello. So thank you both for joining. And the topic that I wanted to explore today uh, was uh, based on an article I saw. The title of the article was Breaking Down Belief Systems and Finding Your True Self. And a quote by Ram Das that really stood out to me that kind of was the, the springboard for this discussion was, as long as you have certain desires about how it ought to be, you can't see how it is. So we could easily see how that could apply to many different areas and aspects of our lives. When we get stuck in how we think something should be or should look, then we're not actually seeing it as it is. But here, it was I wanted to specifically explore the idea around our own sense of who we are, who our true self is and I you know as a a tarot reader I get that question a lot what's my purpose what's my path or you talk to people about coming back to something that they're really passionate about as the motivating or the the guiding force for what direction to go in their career or something and they'll often say well I really don't know what that is or I really don't know what I want to be. So my my first question to you is um, do you think that a belief system, and maybe you can say what you feel that definition would be in terms of belief system. But do you think that a belief system is or needs to be the actual basis for knowing, seeing, or understanding our true selves?
2: Uh, that's that's kind of a tricky question. I think I think belief systems are uh, they're kind of unavoidable. Uh, they're they're. An emergent property of human consciousness to to have uh, an idea about the way things uh, an idea about the way things are uh, we don't just live in the moment because we have this incredible processing power to model our environment in our heads and use and we use that model to predict the future so when the future doesn't align with the model, we have this this egoic tension that exists because what we thought was going to happen didn't. And I think, you know, inevitably uh, we put some kind of, we evaluate that in some way, Um, you know, and this, I I go back to my, my old story about what I think the nature of original sin is, you know, Adam and Eve ate from the, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's That happened a long, long time ago in our evolution, that we began to put value judgments on things. We began to 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 judge. and i I don't, I don't know how you escape that now that ultimately that becomes some kind of Rorschach test for who we are and plumbing the depths of of that structure. I think, is illuminating uh, into the nature of who we are.
3: Hmm. So, John, Mm -hmm. the question you leave me with, though, is I still don't think I exactly understand what you mean by belief system. Because for me, when Heise asked this question about belief systems, I actually am not entirely certain. I mean, I I have a concept of what I think a belief system is, Mm -hmm. and I don't think it actually has much to do with judgment in some ways.
2: Oh, well, do tell.
3: <laughs> well, and I probably don't have, I mean, I will admit I have my own radical view on, on these sorts of things, um, which people can throw as many tomatoes at as they wish. Uh, because when I think about this article that that's in front of us, and I think about how I approach the world, I like the idea of thinking thoughts that I've never thought before. Of living life like I don't know how to live it, which is some of what this article talks about. And and in doing so, I think that doing those kinds of things gives me a window into who I truly am. A belief system for me is something that's like a set of rules I've acquired that says things like, I believe I should do the best job at whatever it is I'm doing all the time. I believe I... um and meant to do something on this planet. It to me the beliefs are sort of like these little guiding principles that are, you know, like things I can I can hold on to when I feel like I need a little security blanket to help me along. Right. But the reality is that they're just things I've kind of accumulated and acquired and they're a structure that I put around myself so that I can move through life. And what I like about the idea of thinking it as a structure is then, when I feel like I get into a place where I want to grow or life is asking me to grow, I can dismantle parts of that structure and pull it apart and see what happens.
2: Okay, so, uh, repost rebuttal. <laughs> uh, when you formulate those belief systems, when you formulate the belief system, and you, you, um, Identify those structural elements that you are going to to allow to be your security blanket. Does that not say something about who you are?
3: It says something about the person that put that. Yes, it does, but only in that moment in which I choose to acquire that particular belief system. So there was a point, say, for example, in my 20s where I got very attached to this idea that one of the things that was very important for me to do was to always do the best at whatever I was doing. Regardless of what I might learn tomorrow, that might have changed what I did yesterday. It's about just doing the best job I could do right here, right now. Mm. And so, yes, that does define, but it was also, in some respects, it hinders. And it was a reflection of who I was at that point in time. I've changed now. I've moved past that.
2: So and so is it easy for you to dismantle the belief system and not feel vertigo?
3: Sometimes, sometimes not. Depends mm. on how deeply ingrained it goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah. But it and sometimes we do use our beliefs as a way to judge what comes towards us and to make um to look at run scenarios in our head and see which way they might fall out. But what's interesting about it is to see if you can completely step away from them, or even if just one or two of them.
2: Mm. I see. Can you step away from them?
1: <laughs> well, I like the, I like the, how um, Annette called the belief systems a structure. Mm. Because for me, I think that our true self actually resides beneath that structure. And the belief systems are the, the structures we start to build and that starts to accumulate on top of that. And they can become far too rigid and far too ingrained to the point that people aren't willing to do like Annette said. They're not willing to challenge those structures. They're not willing to sometimes dismantle those structures and belief systems because they have grown and changed. And that would be one of my questions to both of you is how can we what is a way that people can feel a little more comfortable and willing to challenge the belief systems cuz people get stuck in that way of thinking of well that's that's just how i am and you know they may have been that for a long time and what they may not be noticing is a lot of that structure is based on walls and rooms that other people and other influences have actually Mm. built onto there that they have now adopted and think that is their belief and that is their role and that is who they are. So how would you encourage people to be more willing to challenge that within themselves and to go deeper to say what's underneath that structure so I can see who I really am rather than needing the safety and security of the structure I've known because I don't want to go through that process?
3: Hmm. A very intriguing question. And there's um, the first thing that comes to mind is I would have them ask the question, what if? So what if you continued your life, to live your life according to these beliefs? What if you take one of these beliefs and you decide it no longer has any relevance in your life? What if, what if doing that was the smartest thing you ever did in your entire life? What if it opened up a doorway that you didn't know that you really needed to walk through? And I just start walking down that and saying and thinking about that. And there's another piece to this as well, which is when you talk about the structure is most people don't realize that belief systems are structures and that when you start to think of them as structures consciously, then it means that you can consciously engage with choosing what structure you want in your life. And sometimes the reason people get very stuck in them is because they don't realize they have a conscious choice about them.
2: Uh, I think that's I think that's very true that people don't realize they have a conscious choice, and I think it's in in large part because of the you know the really intense social and cultural conditioning that we all go through. I know for me, it's really hard. Certain, certain beliefs that I, that are embedded very deeply in me. Uh, I feel extremely vulnerable even considering dismantling them. It terrifies me to think about dismantling a particular piece of my belief system. Uh, because I, I don't know who I would be after that. I don't know what, I you know, it becomes like this, this blind initiation rite of passage into some terrain that I can't, I'll, you know, feel like I will never be able to go back.
3: You won't, but at the same time, things that scare the heck out of us like that, to me, that means there's something really rich and complex and interesting that wants to happen there.
2: But if you, if you, if you judge the consequences of that, if you judge, you you know, like, it's just, there's so, there's intrinsic to a deeply held belief is a judgment about what, who those people are that don't hold that belief.
3: Ah, and see, that is, well, and perhaps this is why I, I walk the edge and am more perhaps a rebel than, than some, um. I don't actually have that. I have always had this life where I have walked the edge and I'm somebody who challenges what other people think about me. So I have less investment than some might have in what other people think of me, which Mm -hmm. is a funny thing because it still terrifies me. (laughs) I constantly think about, you know, Oh my God, if I do this and I go out dressed like this and pink hair and this and that and all these crazy things, um, What are people going to think? And what I found is that if I let go of that judgment of that little voice, that there's this whole other interesting part of me that begins to emerge. Mm -hmm. And in living my life in a way that I have, have been doing for the last several years, where I am very much living the crazy, passionate, wild woman artist in my heart, what I found is, Yes, I do scare the hell out of a whole lot of people. And at the same time, what I've attracted to me are people who support me and love me for who I am and who love me for who I am, the true person that I am, and aren't so very interested in the layers that I might put on top of that in the belief system. Mm.
1: So so for both of you, if so, if, if someone has been willing to go through that process and begin to question the beliefs and perhaps even dig beneath the structures if not starting to dismantle them. But there's sometimes this question that will come up with people of, well, if I do decide to engage in that, how will I know when I have touched my authentic self? How will I know what that looks like or what that feels like so that I know I've actually gone deep enough in order to get to that core place, uh, what, what would you say to them as to uh, what that might feel like, or perhaps even if you've experienced it for a moment, you know, what what has it felt like for you when you've known this is a glimpse of my true self, and I can start to actually work from there?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a, uh, the first thing
2: that came to my mind was. A feeling of deep freedom, the absence of judgment, the absence of self-judgment.
3: Yep, that that's a part of it. For me, what came to mind was this a uh, sense of joy and happiness and freedom.
1: Yeah, I think for me, similar to that, is the sense of lightness of being. Lightness yeah. of being, yeah. Where where because the the structure starts to feel heavy. Yeah. the more that gets layered onto it, whether by ourselves or outside influences. And for me, I think when, you, when you've when you touched that core true self, you actually feel this complete lifting of a weight and you feel as if this is what it's like to just be, you know, a ray of light, <laughs> basically, mm-hmm. because it, it feels so light and unencumbered and unweighted from anything. Yeah. Um, So with that, as we come to a close of the conversation, just in a a phrase or two, what tip or suggestion or intention or affirmation would you give to people that you either have used for yourself or is suddenly just coming to you now that you feel would help in the process of being willing to go beyond the belief systems and the structure and the safety and security of that to a place that is deeper to start to look for and touch the true self,
3: mm. I think for me, it would go back to the question of what if to and what I mean by that is to give yourself permission to ask what if what if I let go of a belief? What if I change a belief? what if I step away from this? It just what if mm.
2: That's that's a great one on that. I'm I'm going to use that myself. Um, I guess for me, I would say, release, let go of judgment, let go of judgment of the self, and realize that any choice you make is only a choice in the moment, and you know you can decide that if you can if you can release judgment of uh, uh, if you can release judgment of yourself, then any choice you make. Doesn't define you. It only allows you the freedom to explore.
1: And I might just offer one as well, which would be that maybe see it as more beneficial to simply be who you are, be who you need to be, be who you're asking to be in any given moment and any given situation, rather than trying to figure out who you are based on a particular label or role, uh, and then trying to bring that label or role into the present moment, into the situation, instead of simply being who the present moment is calling for.
2: Mm.
1: I like that too, I see. So, hopefully that has given our listeners a little something to chew on (laughs) for uh, a while and I would encourage them to continue listening to the show I think they will find it quite enjoyable uh, and that hopefully they will be listening with a truer ear rather than an ear that is encumbered by what they think they're supposed to be hearing or listening to. So I want to thank my two round table guests, John Caricella yep, and Annette Wagner thank you. for joining me in this discussion and For those listening, stay tuned. Coming up, uh, especially if you would like to get a reading a little later in the show, feel free to Skype in from the show page or call 646-716-5510 in order to go ahead and get into the queue, and that will be coming up a little bit later in the show. So thank you to my co-host. Keep listening. I hope you enjoy the show, and we'll be right back.
4: Have you been rejected? Have you been desired? Have you been neglected? Have you been so far?
0: Firefly Willow's L-I-V-E, we're working hard to be your trusted source for fun and lightening and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us, host a show, or be a guest, or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable changemakers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at FireflyWillows.com. dot com You're listening to Revolution with host Hi-C Lutmers on firefly willows l i v e. Find out more at facebook dot com slash revolution with Icy.
5: I am Linda Wiley, and this is Living Well with Linda. your monthly guide to the well-being of your body, mind, and spirit. It's about an alternative approach to life, healing, and living well in our changing world. Let food be thy medicine, and medicine be thy food. A return to this understanding of the truth of food and the value of food within our life. Our body is a machine for living. It is organized for that. It is its nature. Let life go on in it, unhindered, and let it defend itself. It will do more than if you paralyze it by encumbering it with remedies. Leo Tolstoy, War and Peace. To realize our connection with all of life and the plant and animal kingdom, and how we support and help each other in our
4: process.
5: I am Linda Wiley, and this is Living Well with Linda. November, the month of Thanksgiving. And indeed, there is much to be grateful for. Actually, true prayer is Thanksgiving, as is forgiveness. Being grateful for what is, thankful for the life we have as it is, hard as that is sometimes. But what is life other than an opportunity to find freedom and truth via our hard times and via the heart? Find freedom and truth via our hard times and via the heart. For it carries all the information. Challenges are what build character, inner strength and wisdom to be passed down and shared throughout the ages. It's a tribal community kind of thing. It is living from the heart of life. Living from the heart of life. Rather than the program we have come to call life. So for now the harvest is done. It's time to dance. Dance dance. It's time to celebrate. Celebrate. It's time to honor the ancestors and the truths. Honor the ancestors and the truth. They went through to find freedom. Truth be told, our history is not the truth of what went down. The crown came to take the land and take it over. Kill the natives, for that is the only way to take over a reality. Destroy the indigenous people, for they carry the truth of the land before the takeover. And there is no way to go back and trace the true history, for words are removed and other meanings given. As they say, history is always from the perspective of the victors. And indeed, we lost our way to be sure through all the lies told henceforth. But now is the time of thanksgiving.
2: Time
5: of Thanksgiving. And in this time, see that family is the deep gift that it is. It is one that is trying to be destroyed in the name of progress. Without family, all is lost. Without a tribe, we die lonely and afraid, and we live in an, a meaningless, unidentified type of world. It is time to reclaim our tribal community reality. It is time to live off and in harmony with the land and each other. This is the truth of the heart. It is time to honor deeply the heart which has been misplaced in the fabricated matrix of reality. For if the heart was online, none of what is going down would be so. Love is the truth of all of life as is the mystery and the awe that go with that mystery. Love is the truth of all of life as is the mystery and the awe that
4: go with that mystery.
5: And we are that mystery and we are that mystery. Perhaps there are no explanations for this mystery, and perhaps there is no need to do so. For living in the awe of it all is the truth of life. Living in the awe of it all is the truth of life. No one, and that is no one, as far as I can find and have found in my experience, at least knows what this is, how it came to be, where it is, how we got here. And time is part of that illusion. Time is what puts us in that located place with a past and a present and a future. So let us gather together in our common humanity humanity. and honor each other for our differences and our similarities. For it is these that need to stand out, not behind in the shadows, somewhere unnoticed. Truth is, we're all stardust. Everything is. And we've got to find our way back to the garden because we're starlight. We're a million year old carbon. That is from a song by Joni Mitchell. We are all dreamers. So together, let's start to dream the new dream. Let's start to dream the new dream. And let's start to live it.
2: Let's start to live it.
5: Now is the time to start really getting ready to do some inner work as that darkness cometh forth and for good reason. It is not to be shunned, but dived into. It is rich and delicious. Very nourishing, to be sure, for body, mind, and spirit. For until we change and heal the within, the without will remain the same. This is a fact of life. So, as we get ready, look at the world and envision a truthful place for all to be. And envision a truthful place for all to be. For it always was this way until we were, until we were usurped. Start to care Deeply, open the heart, open the heart, open the heart, and realize that it holds the key to all of life. Indeed, there is much to be thankful for. Come, let us rejoice in our commonness and shared hearts, for the dance of life is a circle and all are included. No one is left out of the arms of love, for love embraces, holds, and welcomes all into its arms. The circle of life is complete, and there are no sides to life. This must be seen for truth and freedom to dawn. May it be so for all of us and found deeply within the heart that waits in silence for our acknowledgement. Come let us celebrate the truth and let us celebrate the
6: truth.
4: And
5: let us celebrate the truth and not the lies. Let us bring the truth of this love into our families during this holiday season that's beginning now. And let us really begin to feel this and honor this and see that the truth of life And without love, nothing in the world is going to change. And may it be so for
4: all of us. Aho. Aho.
5: Tips for November. Don't forget to drink water. We are all mostly chronically dehydrated anyway. And in the winter, we tend to let go of that perspective and think, oh, it's cold, I'm not working hard, I don't need any water. That's really not the truth of it because water helps uh, the circulation. It helps our bodies hold everything together. It is a defense against the cold. Plants freeze really hard when they don't have water. When you water your garden before a frost, the plants withhold it much better and they suffer much less damage. The same is true for us. As within, so without. As within, so without. It's time to continue with those warming teas and continue with them now until spring, actually. The purpose of the warming teas and these spices and herbs of winter are to take the surface heat from the summer sun and put it deeply into our interior so that we stay warm and dry and functioning properly through the winter months. Always be sure, though, to include some raw foods at each meal if possible because we still want that live goodness even in winter. And do not overcook your foods. And warming curries are really wonderful right now. Gingers and cinnamon and cardamom and cloves and nutmeg, all really wonderful for now. Careful with all those sweets and big splurges these next couple of months bring. Be present with self and know it's about your health and well-being as well as enjoying. Is getting fat and feeling stuffed and not feeling good really a way to honor self and the earth and the holiday of Thanksgiving? Yoga at night is a great way to unwind from the day and exercise is important to keep up in in winter as well. Just like water and other things that we do for ourselves, it's very important to keep up on all these things. It, It keeps us from the depression. It keeps us from Worrying about the cold, it, it keeps the the winter blues away. Saunas are lovely too this time of year. If you can find a far infrared sauna, it's really great. Because the, the far infrared sauna is, is one of the most therapeutic healing tools around today. And the thing about far infrared is that it emits a band of light of radiation that we don't get much anymore because we're indoors. And it actually penetrates deeper into the cells, and it encourages them to to release their toxins. So it's, it's an incredible tool. And don't forget to drink water while you're in the sauna. It's, it's really important because you're sweating all those toxins out, and you're putting that clean, cool water back inside. So those are the tips for the month. And now I'd like to share something about our books. Books that I've taken up. Um this I just thought about starting to look into other ways to do things. Some things that we could start thinking about now as we ruminate on things and look deeply and start to wanna to dream the new dream and give thanks for our new new reality coming to be. So here are a couple of books. The Encyclopedia of Country Living by Carla Emery. It's a big, thick book and it has all kinds of wonderful information of how to live in harmony with the land. Another one would be Stories: Basic Country Skills, A Practical Guide to Self-Reliance by John and Martha Story. I think that's a really good one. And another one is When Technology Fails by Matthew Stein. So good to have a a way that we can be self reliant and take care of ourselves in emergencies and when things happen. And then to help occupy your time uh, and be creative, because that's important too Basic Candle Making by Eric Elbling and uh, Soap Maker's Companion by Susan Miller Kvetch. Some little projects to keep ourselves busy in those long, dark evenings ahead. So, a couple of quotes. I was looking, looking, uh, how little quotes to end with, and looked back into some old Thanksgiving sayings. So, here's just a couple little quotes. It is literally, it is literally true, true, as the as thankless the say, say, that they have nothing, to, they have be nothing to be thankful for. He who sits he by, who the, sits fire, by the fire thankful for the fire is just as if he, had no, if he had no fire. Nothing is possessed, nothing is possessed save an appreciation, save appreciation of, which of which thankfulness is the indispensable, the indispensable ingredient. ingredient, but a thankful but a heart, thankful heart, a, continual heart a continual feast. feast. By W.J. Cameron. And then another, To speak gratitude, to speak gratitude is tritious and, and, tritious and pleasant. And pleasant. And pleasant. To enact, to enact gratitude is generous, is generous and, noble. and noble, but to live to gratitude is to, to touch heaven. Gratitude is the fullness, the fullness of, life. of life. It turns what we have, into, we enough have into enough and more. And more. It turns denial, it turns into, denial acceptance, into acceptance, chaos to order, chaos to order confusion, to, confusion clarity. to clarity. It can turn a meal, and into, turn a meal feast, into a feast, a, house into a, a home, house into a home, and a stranger into, and a, stranger a, friend. into a friend. Gratitude, Gratitude makes sense and of, make our past, of our past, brings peace for today, for today and creates a and vision, creates for, vision tomorrow. for tomorrow. Melody Beattie And remember, it's only a dream, only a dream. It's only a dream, only a dream. It's only a dream, only a dream. Thank you for joining me today for this segment of Living Well with Linda. I'm Linda Wiley. If you would like to chat further with questions, comments or consultations, please contact me at linda@prestia.com. At Thank you and blessings to all. Blessings to all. Blessings to all. Have
4: a great rest of the day. Get back to the garden. Get back to Now, back to the garden. I'm back to the
7: garden.
4: Now, we are star We are million year old carbon. We are golden. We're golden. And we're call him the devil's bargain, and we have got to get ourselves, you know we have got to get ourselves, you know we have got to get ourselves back to the garden.
0: You're listening to Revolution with host Icy Lutmers on Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E. We're opening up the phone lines to our listeners for live on-air readings. Do you have a concern, or is there a situation you'd like guidance with? Get your question ready, and join us by calling 1-646-716-5510, or by using the Skype button on the Firefly Willow's LIZE show page. Enjoy the show!
4: Earth's flying high, you know how I feel, in the sky. You know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by. You know I-
1: Revolutionary guest this month is acupuncturist and midlife success coach Nina Price. Nina Price's clients call her the queen of reinvention because she shows them how to transform their lives in ways they never anticipated. Nina is uniquely qualified to work with midlife women who want to experience midlife without crisis. With an MBA from the University of Michigan. She is a former Silicon Valley high-tech marketing executive who spent 20 years in the computer industry working with Fortune 50 computer companies as well as smaller startups then decided it was time to move on. She returned to school to become a licensed acupuncturist for which she got to study at Zhejiang University in China and massage therapist. Today, she integrates massage, acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine with wellness coaching to help her clients create lifestyles that support their success in all aspects of their lives. Nina is unique because she combines life coaching and academic experience with solid medical credentials. Clients say she's an amazing listener who seems to hear between the lines. Nina genuinely cares about the success of each one of her clients. She wants each one of her clients to feel empowered, to take charge of her own health and wellness, and she teams up with each client to create long-term changes, not quick fixes, and ultimately create a lifestyle that supports success. In 2001, Nina experienced her own midlife transition. She decided she wanted to help other midlife women deal with the kinds of stress that she had experienced herself, so she became a coach. She soon noticed that her career coaching clients all seemed to have health issues that were byproducts of their high-stress lives or that were underlying causes of their career challenges. She realized she wanted to deal with the whole person. Nina feels privileged to have grown up in the museums, theaters, and concert halls of New York City. She now makes her home in Palo Alto, just outside San Francisco, and she has two grown daughters and two granddaughters. Nina has a wide range of interests that infuse her work with energy and creativity. She is a radio DJ and can be found on KFJC 89.7 AM. And she has been on the air for more than 20 years. You can find out more about Nina and the work she does, services she offers, and events that she has coming up by visiting her website at www.midlifewithoutcrisis.com. So, please help me welcome to the show revolutionary guest, Nina Price. And welcome, Nina Price, on this glorious Sunday morning. Thank you for joining us.
6: Oh, it's my pleasure.
1: Uh, obviously, there are many people here that are excited to hear you today, aren't there? All that cheering <laughs> and nice. applause.
6: Nice to get a standing um, ovation. Yes.
1: Well, you know, we had to move from a conference room to a stadium. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so the you know I think the first thing that would probably be helpful is to to go back just a little bit, and to maybe let people know where you came from, what precipitated your own moment of needing to reinvent yourself uh, so that we can kind of hear how you have done that and what you used to be, how you used to be defined in the world, and then what you chose to become rather than simply continuing to be defined by others in the world.
6: Well, as you said very kindly, I certainly worked in Silicon Valley in the computer industry for 20 years. And I loved that work because it's very creative work, it's very fast-paced work. The people who do the work are wonderful people to work with. And but it's, you know, it takes a toll because it's constant deadlines, constant change, constant intensity, which I kind of like, but I felt that it was it was wearing on me a bit and the time of 2001, you probably will recall, was the co- the time of the dot-com bust. And lots of crazy decisions were being made on the fly <laughs> in those days that had big impacts on people's lives. And I was working for a company that was definitely feeling the bite of the dot-com bust and the downturn in the computer industry. Even though they were doing well, um, they really were having to tighten their belts and change a lot of what they were doing, and it wasn't so fun to work there as it had been in the past um but you know, my star was rising, my group was growing, I was well positioned, things were going well for me and then one day, out of the blue, um my boss wanted to see me and <laughs> basically laid me off. I was like, and in an instant, that portion of my life was over. And I never saw it coming. I was completely blindsided, completely blindsided, <laughs> so dazed and confused. I kind of uh, picked myself up and uh, did some thinking. You know, who was I? Who did I want to be? Uh, what did I want my life to be like? Uh, who was I now that I was unemployed? Who was I now that I was, you know, 46 years old and a midlife person? And, um, yeah, what did I want? And so after some pondering, I decided that it this whole situation presented some great opportunities for me. And one day I kind of asked myself, you know, if you could do anything to make a living, what would you do? And the answer that came back was, you're done. It's time to do something else. But what was something else? I decided that I wanted to be a coach because what I'd loved in the corporate world was coaching the people I worked with. And I went to massage school because I'd always wanted to do it and I had never made time to go to massage school. And now I had time, so I just did. And I didn't really know why I was doing it. It was mostly because of, of curiosity. I certainly didn't plan to make a living being a massage therapist, but um, I went and I discovered all kinds of things. Going to massage school was probably one of the most transformative experiences I ever had because it blew open whole parts of myself that I'd never really looked at blew open my intuition, blew open um, what I could do and how I could um, how I could receive information in ways that I didn't even realize I could. So it was a very, very transformative experience, and I realized that I needed to do something with this newfound capability. So I coached, I did massage for several years, and ultimately I ended up going to acupuncture school, which really wasn't part of my plan. But I'm glad I did it because, again, it opened up new skills and new abilities and new knowledge to me that have been very useful. So I, unknowingly, a layoff for me, put me on a hero's journey toward who I needed to become to take on the next half of my life. And many of us these days are finding ourselves unemployed or finding ourselves in the midst of changes in our lives. Perhaps our children are growing up. Perhaps our spouse or partner is departing. Perhaps our parents are departing. Um, perhaps our whole reality as it used to be is kind of changing. And I think that's a very healthy thing. And I think at midlife it's a very normal thing. So where all of this has taken me is to my own theory of what midlife is all about and what a healthy midlife needs to include. And change is a big part of that. I often say, you know you're in midlife when you're trying to live the way you always have except now your body is (laughs) giving you some feedback, telling you you can't get away with it anymore. Like um, maybe you're eating the way you always have, but now (laughs) you're gaining weight. Or you're trying to get away with sleeping or not sleeping the way you always have, but now you find you're falling asleep in in inconvenient places (laughs) at inconvenient times because you just need more sleep than you're giving yourself. Um, There are many things that change at this time, but it's subtle. Sometimes people find that they notice they're in midlife because they notice the body changes, and sometimes they're in midlife because they're catapulted into it because of life changes. Um, Like, as we said, kids growing up, parents departing, partners and spouses departing, Uh, Some people say, you know, my friends are all off doing other things and they don't have time for me. I need new friends. And again, that's an opportunity, too, to become part, part of new communities and really experience community with new kinds of people focused on new things, perhaps. I think it's just a really... Juicy time of life, and I think it's it's fun. So I've started to develop my own concept of what a healthy midlife is all about, and I bet that's what you want to talk about.
1: Well, that would that would be true. <clears throat> how, <laughs> how insightful you are! Um, but but I want to mention, you know, listening to what you were saying, one of the key things that I heard. Um, that seems to be very important for your own process that I think is probably something that is important to try to encourage and instill in others is you you know when you got laid off and you decided to go to massage school and you decided to pursue some of these other things, in a sense, what you did is you gave yourself permission to yep. uh, to go after those things to pursue some things that you had long thought about or wanted or felt would be really right for you and you know and tied to that you were then willing to make a change rather than to just grasp onto the familiar and I think that's where a lot of people get tripped up is they get laid off and they go into panic mode for example and then they start just looking for another job in what they're already doing rather than even taking a moment to to ponder What is it that I would really want to do? Do I want to continue doing the same thing? Um, So how would you coach or encourage someone to get to the point of releasing that fear of letting go of the familiar and giving themselves permission to actually envision what could be possible and to see themselves in a different way and allow themselves to go a different direction rather than thinking they need to stay on the same path that they were on. Uh, Because a lot of times I think what you hear from people is, well, at this point in my life, it's too late for me to make that kind of a change. Or if only I had started to do that when I was in my 20s, but now I'm too established in my career, I'm too whatever. So what kind of tips or suggestions or tools or uh, coaching would you give to someone to move into that place of giving themselves permission and the the openness and willingness to see that change as a possibility rather than a fearful thing to step into?
6: Well, number one, change is good. And change is necessary. Because if you live your life one one way, doing things the same old way from day one to to the last day, often you miss out on a lot of the juice. What if you opened yourself to the possibility that perhaps some of what you're doing doesn't serve you anymore. And one of the first steps that I really encourage people to do in midlife is what I call ditch what no longer serves you. So ditch what no longer serves you. What I observed myself and I certainly didn't have any textbook to go by. I was just sort of making it up as I went. Um, What I noticed was when I stopped and really looked and thought, and I guess part of it assumes that people are willing to be thoughtful and mindful about their own lives. And I think most of us are. Sometimes we forget, too, as you said, because we get into a panic of how am I going to pay my bills. Well, you know, the bills will get paid Somehow. But you owe it to yourself to really think a little bit about who am I becoming? Who am I now? Who am I now that I've lost my job, let's say, or that my kids are grown? Or Who am I now? And you'll be amazed at what you discover when you say, who am I now? And you can say, what no longer serves me? Okay, my kids are grown what can I stop doing or who can I stop being or how can I stop doing things because I don't need to anymore. Kids are grown. Well, you've got time. You've got energy you didn't have. What are you going to do with that time and that energy? Um, parents have passed on. Maybe that means that you've inherited a little money. Maybe it doesn't, but maybe it does. Um You're unemployed. What could you do now that you've never had a chance to do? Or what is it that just doesn't serve you anymore? Maybe you had a horrible commute, and maybe the commute was a huge source of stress. Well, what if your next job could involve a really comfortable commute or no commute at all? So look at the things that don't serve you. And you'll discover that there's all kinds of stuff in your life that you don't need anymore. Relationships, physical stuff, experiences that maybe you've, you know, been there, done that concept. Well, yeah, there's probably a lot of stuff in your life that you're just plain done with. And what is that? stuff that doesn't have to clutter up your life. So I always encourage people to take inventory. In fact, I know I myself had to do that. Somebody challenged me to get rid of 10 things a week. And I went, "Okay." And I did that for a whole year, and I looked somebody said, "Oh no, you got to get rid of 20 things." It's like, "No, that's too overwhelming for me. 10 things a week I can do." And every week I got rid of 10 things, 10 books, 10 pieces of clothing, 10 inches of paper. It wasn't like 10 pieces of paper, it was 10 inches of paper. Um, I cleaned out cupboards. I cleaned out all kinds of things in my garage and all over the place, just got rid of things. And then a year later, there were 500 things that were gone in my life. And I wasn't missing any of them. And there was room for new things to come in, or new energy to come in, or new ideas to come in. And that felt very powerful. So a simple thing you can do is ditch some things. You may need to ditch some relationships. You may need to ditch some ways of thinking about yourself or how you want to live your life. I know for me, I decided that I was going to be really healthy for the rest of my life. And I had never been particularly fit. I mean, I wasn't super unfit, but I had never really consciously been fit in my life. And in my 50s, I made the conscious decision to become fit and I'm here to tell you that I am today fitter than I've ever been in my whole life. I don't huff and puff up and down stairs. My blood pressure is normal. My blood sugar is normal. All my numbers are normal. And many people at my age can't say that. So it's never too late to start to do things. I run into people All the time, in fact, I met a woman the other day who said she started her own business when she was 68 years old. And I thought that was fabulous. I think it's really wonderful when we step out and do things that are a little bit outside our comfort zone at any age. So I would say change is good, let go of what what no longer serves you, and move ahead. And if you're unemployed, for example, view it as an opportunity. You're on a huge, exciting adventure. This is your hero's journey, and what can you learn about yourself and the way you really want to live your life from this experience? And you will find many, many wonderful things.
1: And The next thing... Oh, sure, sure. My uh, name. Well, well, I was going to say I, I think that um, that could also refer back to what we were hearing in the roundtable uh, that Annette Wagner mentioned as a, a technique to use because it, it would be the same thing where if somebody was unemployed, for example, and you want them to look at things as an opportunity, it says, what if? You know, it, it, what, what if I pursued this? What if I decided to do that? What if I see this as a blank canvas of opportunity? Rather than oh my gosh what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that even things like you know you said we somebody gets unemployed and now all of a sudden all they worry about is like how am I going to pay the bills Et cetera. It may be also taking that time to to look at the bills you pay and say you know some of the things that I pay bills for uh, also no longer serve me. And just point. like with just like with clearing things out you know, um, they're ditching things, as you say. There's a sense of of recognizing that I, a lot of it is just there because I've gotten used to it being there. And when I start to look at it differently as, do I really need that? Have I used that in a long time? Would I really miss that? Whatever. We start to shift the perspective and relationship with it, and if we let go of it, just like you said, you realize... I wasn't missing those things, you know, I didn't feel like something was lacking because those things were no longer there, it's just that we had gotten used to them being there. And that's, I think, one of the keys for people is to recognize where and how they've simply gotten used to being that is, I think, one of the the triggers of what a midlife experience is about is Being confronted by what we've gotten used to being there and almost being forced to call into question, is it still necessary to be there? Is there anything it still serves? And if not, now is the time to let it go rather than to make excuses and justifications for keeping it around.
6: Well said. I totally agree.
1: (laughs) Um, So you were going to go into a, a second thing besides ditching some things, the second thing? Well,
6: so, yeah, first first, create some space. Ditch what no longer serves you. And the second thing is become a master of self-care. At this age, once you're in midlife, you really can't take your body for granted anymore. You really have to take care of it. And I know a lot of people say, oh, come on, don't make me do that. But I think we are not brought up with the thought that we really have to take care of ourselves. Um, Certainly, our great-grandparents didn't live to be, many of them didn't live to be 90 and 100 years old, the way people are doing now. And we are a generation that can expect, you know, twenty, thirty, forty years after we hit midlife, and what are we going to do with those years if we don't take care of our bodies? What are what are we going to be? What's our quality of life going to be? Who cares about getting old if you can't have quality of life? If you can't be productive, if you can't add value, what's the point? So, I say. Take care of yourself. And that can take many forms. So obviously, it's getting enough sleep and eating correctly. and um, Managing your stress is a huge one. Most of us have not been taught how to do that effectively. And we're seeing all manner of intense problems showing up in our bodies just because we've pushed ourselves so hard and haven't allowed ourselves to recover. So being a master of self-care involves all kinds of things, including becoming more self-aware. I found in my own experience that uh, the more self-aware I became, the more I felt compelled to take care of myself. The more we listen to our bodies, I mean, heavens knows our bodies communicate with us every day and sometimes it's in the form of itchy rashes and headaches and (laughs) acid reflux, whatever. And those are just messages from our bodies. What if we really listened to those messages and really took care of ourselves.
1: And I think that um, one one thing for people to also keep in mind, you don't have to wait until a crisis to start thinking about doing that. You know? Well, yeah. You, 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 I mean, it's funny. I was just thinking like how you'll hear people say, well, I just, you know, you really need a vacation I just don't have time to take a vacation it's like well why don't you go ahead and make time for a vacation now before you find yourself to the point that you're so stressed or so sick that you're forced to take time off you don't have to wait until that crisis point to be jolted back into maybe hopefully being brought to awareness of needing to take care of yourself
6: exactly and I think the way many of us have grown up is, you know, you go to the doctor when you're sick, you don't necessarily take care of yourself all the time so that you can prevent being sick. And at this stage in life where our bodies are starting to, (laughs) um, well, what should I say? Our bodies are starting to change in some pretty big ways and some of us are seeing instances of chronic illness. People are getting high blood pressure, people are getting diabetes, people are getting um, all manner of serious long-term problems at young ages. What if that didn't have to happen? What if you could take care of yourself in such a way that you weren't feeling that way?
1: And I think along with that is when, when we're going through a period of our bodies are changing, our routines are shifting, whether it's we're sleeping less or sleeping more, our bodies don't exactly respond or, or do the things that we used to be able to do and that kind of thing. Instead, I think what we find a lot of times is people, people fall into this mode of I need to find a way to either force or trick my body in my mind, back to the way it was when I was 20. Instead, I think it might be healthier to come to a place of accepting and honoring the shifts and the changes in our bodies, in our routines, and learning how to work with those rather than to fight against them we're understanding how that now wants to operate so I can support it in the best way possible rather than trying to make it operate the way it did 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago and putting additional stress on the body and on the mind because it's trying to adjust and and shift in the way that it naturally does and we're trying to keep that naturalness at bay. exactly now we've we've used the term midlife a lot here <laughs> um one i wanted to just you know in astrological terms there is a whole period from about 36 37 to about 45 46 where there is a, a series of of planetary transitions in one's chart um that really kind of indicate define and Um, are part of that whole what we would consider midlife transition period. Um, And, well, you have Pluto first and then Uranus, Neptune, and Saturn. So I'm going to just read a few of the the key words or the key aspects of what that period is about from an astrological standpoint, and then Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you, how you feel either those apply or what you mean and how you define the word midlife when you're talking about that. Um, so, you know, from an astrological standpoint, the things during that roughly 10 year period or so um, are things like being confronted by and wanting more individuality and independence um, starting to question what it is we're doing and whether what we've accomplished is worth anything and now wondering is there something else or something more I need to do to somehow have value to my life and the things that I'm accomplishing in it. Uh, There may be a, a more spiritual aspect and connection emerging, and that may have to do with coming to uh, facing a greater sense of our mortality as we're recognizing where we are at that point in our life. But that can also be the flip side, which also we oftentimes see that's the period where people suddenly get caught up in things like um, addictions or wanting to escape reality in some way, oftentimes through unhealthy (laughs) means. Um, It may be when we start to feel like we have to get more serious about life, uh, it's when we start to feel a greater sense of the limitations and restrictions that we have, as well as the the uh, maybe the weight of the responsibilities we feel like we have we carry or that have built up for us around family or work, um, or just wanting to be more authentic in life. Um, it's also a lot about how our power, our personal power, our power to control our own destiny, the power we have over our life and its direction. Um, so those are a lot of the different aspects that can come up as a result of this astrological influence and period. So I'm wondering if you feel those relate to what you think of as midlife and that transition period and how you tend to define and think of it including if there's a particular age range that you tend to think of for midlife?
3: Well,
6: age range, I would say 40 plus, 40 to 70 maybe, 40 to 65. Sometimes as early as 35, I've seen people start grappling with things, just as you said. But I really love what you said. I love that whole listing. The second one, read the second one again
1: uh the one about feeling whether our accomplishments in life are really worth anything and yeah. if there's something else i need to be doing to somehow have value in the world or have been able to do or accomplish something i can look back on that has worth
6: yeah i would say for me that was the big one but and i've seen that for a lot of people i think that's that's huge of course the responsibilities are important, of course, feeling new limitations and desire to be spiritual is important, and seriousness, but that whole concept of yeah, is there any value to what I've spent my life doing, and do I need to be you know have i have I done any any good here? Do I need to um do I need to shift how i show up who do i need to be who am i becoming and i think those are very valid questions i would say i see people asking questions like who am i now and uh who am i becoming or what's next for me how can i add value in a way that's meaningful perhaps unlike what i've done before And I would add that some people feel that they have to wait till they're retired to do that. And I would say nowadays, no, you don't. (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. we're seeing more and more people at midlife become unemployed for long periods of time. And how are you going to spend that time? Well, why not spend some time learning? Being a lifelong learner is a very worthy enterprise and definitely pays off in the long run. I see people... I, sorry? Oh, no, go ahead. I see people retraining themselves. Um, I think one of the... Excuse me. Um, one of the things that I heard that I thought was so interesting, and this was a radio interview. It was a woman, and she'd been a school teacher for many, many years. And she was retraining to become a software engineer and she was doing one of these sort of um, hacker boot camp things where she was learning on the fly you know she'd spend a weekend or some intensive period of time learning how to be a software engineer maybe she was a math teacher or something like that and they thought well she's teeing herself up so that she'll have some job security and she can work on her own terms for the rest of her life good for her so i thought it was a it was a very interesting perspective and way of dealing with how she felt about her job she could leverage the skills and the thing is what you whatever you've done in your life you have skills and you have skills that can be transferred into something new so look at what skills you have and what skills are valued in the marketplace and how can you repurpose your skills, how can you reposition your skills? How can you reposition yourself, rebrand yourself so that you can be vibrant and sought after. Or maybe you want to be self employed and be vibrant and sought after.
1: Um, Well, so the the Neptune aspect is really what kind of kicks in that that questioning around accomplishments and all that kind of thing. I think that, and that usually is around the 42-ish age uh, in terms of the astrological cycle of things when those planets are kicking in. And, you know, that seems to be one of those very typical times when we see what we think of as the midlife crisis. You know the the guy who leaves his spouse of twenty years and then finds the twenty year old and buys the sports car and that kind of thing. And I think some of that has to do. And one reason why maybe you see it as one of the big things that seems to come up a lot for the people you work with is because our society, especially, is we define ourselves so much by our work and by our career that. And then, you know, connected to that is how much how much stuff i have that represents success you know how much money i make how big of a house do i have all those kind of things um and i uh, and i'm wondering if how how can you work with someone to shift that definition of accomplishment and success away from the external the material the this is what i do for work kind of thing that society says is worthy of accomplishment or worthy of recognition for having contributed something. How how can somebody work to shift away from being so defined by that versus coming back to a place of let me determine what represents a valuable accomplishment for myself in my life rather than it needing to be measured by the external?
6: Well, and I think some of it is just getting comfortable with yourself. I think a lot of us Um, get to this point in life and we've achieved a few things and some of us are more self-confident than others some of us are feeling more accomplished than others I think um, those of us who feel like we're not very accomplished this would be a great time to maybe (laughs) create some accomplishments do some of the things you've always wanted to do and for people who are really sick and tired of doing whatever it is they've done for most of their life, whatever it is, whether it's raise kids, go to work, serve the community, yeah, maybe it's time to do something different um I don't you talked about um points in the astrological chart. I think people have cycles in life. That are determined by all kinds of things, you would say probably a lot of them have to do with the planets, and every so many years, I think most of us need a change
1: well and and that yeah, that would touch on, for example, in astrology, we have what are called the Saturn returns, and that happens right at the end of the twenties around twenty eight twenty nine it happens again around fifty six fifty seven it can happen again in the mid eighties, depending on how long somebody lives um and in a lot of ways, those, uh, those moments are also kind of similar to what you're describing as that, the, the questions that are arising and what somebody is going through in, in a midlife situation. So, uh, you know, I think that maybe if people cannot think about midlife crisis as something that happens at a particular age, but instead is something that happens regularly and it's calling us, because Saturn returns are the big times, but then it, it the themes of a Saturn return are revisited approximately every seven years. So I think that part of what you just said would also be reflected there of the natural cycles of things that, you know, it's like the seven-year itch. It's about every seven years, maybe we want to set aside some time to, ask some of these questions of ourselves, to take stock of some of these things. Maybe it's every seven years is the year we go through taking and getting rid of 10 things a week uh, so that we're (laughs) honoring those cycles and doing it on a regular basis, again, waiting until there's a crisis or waiting until we're being forced to face it versus us being a part of that process so that we are able to perhaps ease through those things when they do reach some of their peak points a little easier a little more comfortably, uh, a little less painfully, um, rather than letting it build up, build up, build up, build up to the point of crisis.
6: Absolutely. I would also say that we could take a creative point of view and, and ask the question, what's next for me? What's next for me? And really imagine even some outrageously wonderful outcomes. What, what could be next for you? And it's a question I love to ask with clients. I sometimes set up a session with people that can go half a day or a whole day where we just pull ideas out of your head because we've got a lot of ideas in our head. Most of them are pretty good. Some of them may be a little outrageous and hard to execute, and some of them may be totally doable. We just It never occurred to us that we could do them. Sometimes there are things just sitting right in front of us that we don't see. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes when I sit with clients for a day or half a day, things come out. So perhaps there are people listening for whom that sounds like fun. I'd be happy to talk to you about pulling ideas out of your head that might be helpful in terms of what's next for you.
1: And I think that, that that process, that's something that you do, that you've kind of given the the name of a midlife alchemy lab?
6: Oh, well, that's the kind of the step after that. So once the ideas are in more tangible form, people often want to actually realize them. In fact, many of us, I'm sure you've experienced this, this project you just really want to do but you never get around to. Many times, very important things in our lives are things we put on the back burner. They may have great heart importance to us, but we let everything else get ahead of that. And I see women doing that a lot, you know, taking care of everybody else but their own needs. And for that reason, I decided that I needed to create something that would give people a structure and time, to really pursue what was important, what really felt they felt passionate about, they felt that they really cared about doing, but were not doing. So I created the Midlife Alchemy, the Alchemy Lab, and the uh, the subtitle is "Time to Bring Your Big Idea to Life," as in it's time to bring your big idea to life and let's create time for you to bring your big idea to life. So two steps. One, let's get the ideas out of your head and see what's really important and what's next for you. And two, let's help you really bring it to life. Create it. Test it make it real people talk about writing a book people talk about starting a business people talk about all kinds of projects for making the world a better place but they just don't do them why not invest in an opportunity to do just
1: that and one of the things that you had mentioned earlier as well as obviously this is also designed around is people being able to um, face rather than fear, resist the shifts and changes and transitions that are happening. And then, you, you know, one of the things you really champion is to create long-term change rather than find a quick fix for something. Yep. Um, so I'm I'm curious if you could maybe just give people what one key or two key things are to recognizing what the difference is between a long-term versus a short-term fix and how to go about pursuing and and implementing a long-term change instead of what would be the trap of, of getting into a quick fix.
6: Well, let's take the case of somebody who's unemployed. You've been hit by a layoff or you've been unemployed for a while and you're really getting nervous. So the quick fix would be to run out and get some kind of work at some ridiculous wage just so money is coming in. It's kind of a move of desperation, as opposed to really looking at what would I really like to spend my time doing and what skills do I really need to do that And do I have the skills I need? How do I get the skills I need? And how do I really want to spend my time for the next 20, 30, 40 years? You know, when do I want to retire? How do I want to live my life? Who do I want to become? I would say that's a longer-term view, but it's probably worth it to do that kind of thinking at this stage in life just because you've got plenty of years, why not set yourself up for a happier time? You can redo things. You can do it over. You can change the way you do things. And you can take a different tack. I view adolescence as being kind of a portal see young adulthood and adulthood. I view midlife as being a portal to the next chapter of life. And it's how you do midlife that either sets you up for a lifetime of disease or health or a lifetime of feeling satisfied with how you live your life or not. You have a choice, and... My choice for you would be I would rather you were living a happier life and a healthier life than one where you're suffering and feeling unhappy
1: most of the time. Um, And you also um, are a licensed acupuncturist and work in traditional Chinese medicine um, which I think usually means you—that is the, the herbalism side of things <laughs> when that goes with the acupuncture. Mm-hmm.
6: Um, In California, uh, that's true.
1: Yeah. Are, are there some particular, say, uh, symptoms, health and body issues, and even treatments or herbs and things that you feel are just kind of common to this time of life or that kind of a a transition or or crisis period Um, and a couple of the things like especially in terms of treatments and and herbs, a couple of things that are just commonly seen to be useful and beneficial during that particular phase of someone's life.
6: Wow, those are big questions. I'm trying to boil them down into more answerable ones. Um, So Everybody is unique, and certainly in Chinese medicine, we look at each person's unique patterns. So even though, let's say, two people might have high blood pressure, they would manifest it each their own way and might need different herbal treatments, um, acupuncture treatments, other treatments. Uh, so it's it's hard to say in particular. For women, um, in general, we think of midlife as being a time of what's called yin, deficiency yin as opposed to yang, is the more feminine element, and women become yin deficient when they go through menopause and so the hot flashes and the dryness that they feel are all characteristic of yin deficiency and there are many other symptoms that women often experience at that point in life and we try to treat each person as an individual and treat them specifically to what's going on for them so I I can't speak in generalities because there there are too many things that go on. But in general, I think people in the United States seem to be becoming more sedentary, seem to be um, gaining weight, seem to be, um, oh, not doing enough to rejuvenate, regenerate what is working in their bodies. And so I try to get people to to pay attention to what's going on and give them strategies for revitalizing themselves. And those probably would include both physical activity, food, herbs, acupuncture, whatever they need. So I can't be super specific because I'd have to work with a specific problem. Um, I'm noticing a lot of people need a whole lot more sleep at this point in life. And many people are struggling to get good nourishing sleep because they have things like sleep apnea. They have things like, well, some of the side effects of some of the body changes that happen in midlife involve waking up at night and not sleeping as well. and So I do a lot of work with sleep. Um,
1: well, but- and one thing that's really become more common in terms of studies now that may also be contributing to that and why you may be seeing it even more is that the uh, the screens that we use with all of our devices, phones, iPads, computers etc televisions you know they all use a particular spectrum of blue light that actually triggers the the waking process in the body so like in the morning if we were just waking naturally to the Sun coming up there's a particular frequency of blue light that's associated with that that is part of what's telling the body it's now time to wake up you know the the morning is here the day is starting and that same frequency of blue light is what is used in all of the screens. And people, you know, reading their iPads at night when they go to bed or look, being on their phone and looking at stuff on their phone, you know, in the evening or watching television at night. They've actually done studies and found that that's contributing to um, more difficulty getting to sleep uh, because it's, it's tricking the mind and the body into thinking that it's, it's wake time because of that frequency being associated with when the sun is coming up and when you're supposed to be waking up.
6: Absolutely. Well, yeah, in prior centuries, it would get dark at night and people would go to bed because they had nothing keeping them awake. And today we have many physical interruptions, as you mentioned, screens being one of them that keep people awake which is why we I always tell people when they're taking melatonin to take it when the sun goes down because it's really a signal to the circadian rib, rhythms that it's time, you know, the sun is going down, it's time to start the wind-down process.
1: I've also seen studies about um, not necessarily uh, trying to force yourself to sleep all the way through the night. If your body naturally wakes up in the middle of the night, then... Work with that and feel free, you know, get up and do something because your body will naturally go back to sleep. And so there have been studies where it can be a very natural thing for people to have two sleep cycles throughout Mm -hmm. the night. Whereas we're, Mm -hmm. we're, you know, all we ever hear is, you know, get a good night's sleep and you're supposed to get eight hours of sleep, which everybody thinks of as one eight hour block of sleep. And that may work for some people, but other people, perhaps it might not And I think people fight against that because they think there's something wrong with their body or with their sleep cycle because they're waking up at, say, you know, they tend to wake up around 1.30 or 2 in the morning all of the time and they struggle to get back to sleep. And uh, part of the key would be, well, stop struggling to get back to sleep. Just go do something until you naturally get back to a tired state and then go back to bed and go to sleep. And they may actually find that they've gotten eight hours. It just wasn't an eight-hour block and they'll feel just as rested the next day rather than thinking that's going to make them feel tired because their sleep got interrupted.
6: I agree. And from the anecdotal evidence that I hear from clients, many people have two sleep cycles punctuated by a break or maybe not, maybe a brief break. The trouble is people don't allocate Many hours to sleep, and they have to get up in right. the morning and go places and be aware and alert, and it's it's hard to do that. So it means going to sleep earlier. I also find that people aren't necessarily getting very refreshing sleep. Sleep seems to be a problem for many people.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so you had mentioned like the the Mission Alchemy Lab. Um can you just talk to us a little bit about overall the kind of services and things you offer and what events, workshops or other things that you may have coming up on the horizon that people oh need to be goodness. aware of?
6: Well, oh goodness. Um I always have things going on. I am going to be teaching some herbs classes next year sort of pe- for people who want basic knowledge about herbs cuz I really love herbs, and in California, to be a licensed acupuncturist, you have to be a master herbalist, and um, I was always a person that enjoyed the herbal knowledge, and one of the things I really enjoy doing is sharing that with people, because I think when people know how to take care of themselves, and they have strategies and tactics to do that, they do. Um, One of the things I did recently was I created a kit to teach people how to Prevent colds, coughs, and flus, and what to do when you start getting one, because I find that that's something that you know there aren't real nobody gets inoculated for for a cold. I mean now people take flu shots, and I don't really want to go into my opinion of flu shots, but what I will say is more of us could be boosting our immune system so that our immune system is strong and keeps us healthy against whatever's out there in the environment that we deal with so that we can, again, be more in charge of our own health. And I really feel like teaching people how to use herbs and supplements to prevent illness <clears throat> or using herbs and supplements to help you get well faster puts your own wellness back in your own hands. So, when I say become a master of self care, it's having some of those strategies to help yourself stay in charge of your own health. I think that's very important because the healthcare system in the United States may or may not be interested in promoting your health.
1: Well, and it really, and it speaks back to what we were saying earlier, don't wait for crisis mode to start asking these questions or dealing with some of these issues. And with what you were just saying there, it's more be proactive in order to be preventive rather than to be reactive after something has already happened. So don't wait for the cold and then react versus be proactive to do things that could actually prevent the cold coming in the first place, which means you either avoid the the crisis altogether, or you're able to navigate through that crisis moment far more easy or it's far less severe than what it would have been otherwise.
6: Absolutely. So yes, um, if you'd like to have me speak to your group about herbs, about sleep, about any. Issues that people have in midlife, whether it's (laughs) menopause or health-related issues, I'd be happy to. i love to do that. I also will be having another event for midlife women probably in March, and it will be addressing this whole concept of what's next for me. Because I think it's a very important question that we should always ask is what's next for me and how can I set myself up to do either what I meant to do in this world at this point or what I've always wanted to do at this point in my life.
1: And people can find out about what you offer and when these are going to be by visiting your website, which is
6: right.
4: midlifewithoutcrisis.com. Uh, Midlife
1: Without Without Crisis. Dot com.
6: Dot com. <clears throat> I also have a website that's my name, ninaprice.com, and whatever I'm up to is, is announced there. If you'd like to just chat with me about what's next with you, you can send me an email, nina, at ninaprice.com, and I'd be happy to hear from you and set up a chance to chat
1: and when when you're meeting with a potential new client your first initial consultation with them is is at no charge is that correct
6: That's correct
1: <clears throat> to determine if you're a bet a good fit and w- if what you can offer might be best for what they need basically without having to <laughs> pay just to find that out that this isn't going to work <clears throat> <laughs>
6: Well exactly <clears throat>
1: um so as we come to the close of our conversation, there is something that I ask each guest, and two things, really. One is I'm going to ask you a question that my guest last month posed without knowing who it would be asked to, for you to then respond to, and then I'm going to ask you for a question that you would like to ask for next month's guest to be asked without knowing who that's going to be. Okay. So the the question from last month uh was from my guest Nancy Antonucci um who is a seer tarot reader intuitive she's also involved in the dance and theater world and her question for you is <clears throat> sorry up to the <clears throat> sorry up to this point in your life what was the single strongest influence or memory of knowing your true self?
6: Wow. You mean I have to come up with one. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing my true self. Well, the one that comes to mind, I don't know if, if this one is it, but when I was in massage school, I had several experiences that were very transformative and very powerful where I really came in touch with what I was capable of in a whole new way. And so I'm going to say that those experiences were me experiencing my true self in a whole new way, in a very powerful whole new way.
1: And then what question would you like to pose for next month's guest? Well,
6: I've always said if I had a foundation, it would be called the Big Ideas Foundation because I really celebrate people's big ideas. When I was a kid, nobody took my big ideas seriously. And I think it's really important To take others' big ideas seriously. So, my question for next month's guest is What would you say was your most important big idea? It could be in any context for yourself, for someone else, for how you wanted to live your life, for something you wanted to do.
1: All right. Well, and, and you accuse me of asking big questions.
6: Well, it, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that big a question. It's a big idea.
1: Yes. Well, master herbalist, acupuncturist extraordinaire, midlife success coach without peer, Nina Price, I would like to extend a thousand gratitudes to you for taking the time today to join me here on the show and to share some of your wisdom and experience with others. And I want to encourage people that if they have been intrigued or have felt that what they've heard would be really beneficial for them, to visit Nina's website, midlifewithoutcrisis.com or NinaPrice.com, and get in touch with her to talk a little more about what you are meeting and looking for, finding out what she could offer you to help with that, um, because there's never a better time than this moment to do that. Don't wait for crisis to do that so that you have the tools when a crisis arises to navigate it more successfully. And Nina Price is your handyman with all the tools you need. For getting through That's that, right. so yes. thank you very much, Nina, for joining. Oh,
6: us. I see. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to talk to you as
3: always.
1: <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And if you're listening, stay tuned because coming up, we have the uh, monthly astrology update for a little sense of what astrological weather patterns are moving through over the course of the month so that we're better forewarned and prepared to work with them appropriately. And following that is our segment where you have a chance to receive a reading live on the air. To do so, you can Skype in or you can call 646-716-5510 in order to get into the queue. So my thanks to Nina Price. Keep listening, enjoy, and we'll be right back.
4: The
7: Greetings, space cadets. Welcome to the November StarCast, Radical Departures, the Anima Mundi. <music> the Anima Mundi, or world spirit, it would seem, is hungry for a change, or at the very least, the need among the planet's most dominant species humans, in terms of being a force of nature unto its own, is yearning for radical departures from current flight paths. Evidenced by the crises, we find ourselves in the confluence of. November certainly highlights this tendency with an aspect pattern that features some major contacts with tight turnarounds. Hold on to your hats and keep your hearts open because the reprieve that was October is over and starships were meant to fly into hyperspace, which is exactly what our little blue spaceship is off to do now. At the very least, its human inhabitants are in for an interesting ride for this leg of the trip around the sun. The internet is a potent theme for this month as it is dominated by a series of Mercury and Venus contacts, continuing the Venusian themes of the month prior with both planets beginning in signs linked to computers and communications technologies. Adding to this witch's brew is the fact that significant Pluto contacts are made with these deeply personal planets, lending them an air of intensity they would not normally have, and also converting them into change agents, activating the selective pressures which push evolution forward. Mercury rising. Mercury stationed on October 26th and went direct the following day, and in the sign of the ultimate communications computer, the planet Earth itself. The sign, by the way, is Virgo. Virgo is symbolic of the interactive, dynamic life support systems of the planet itself. This is, in essence, the Virgoan impulse. Methodical, systematic, meticulous, and attentive to every small detail right down to the atomic plan of a molecular body. The eponymous Mercury will move quicksilver and quick through Virgo until entering the symbol of the ultimate social computer, moving ever towards equilibrium and never achieving it, Libra, which occurs on November 14th. Libra, the sign of civil society itself, the social contract, and all the agreements we make amongst ourselves to facilitate pleasant and free society. Communications will take on the feel of diplomacy and collaboration symbolic of the Libran impulse. It means our words will have beauty and fairness to them and social justice and fairness overall become primary issues in our communications and interactions. It's a Venus-ruled sign, so our words become beautiful and pleasing, much like Venus herself. Swift, yet filled with an intense desire to connect and use words to build bridges, in the international arena, the continuing battle over who owns the Internet will continue to heat up. It goes much farther than this, as Arab Spring made clear, that the Internet can facilitate democracy and give activists and freedom fighters an anonymity that facilitates their descent to liberation by avoiding intimidation from totalitarian governments. Given Mercury is the ultimate symbol of communication, it is no surprise that these issues continue to loom large, seemingly looking diplomatic to all mainstream media accounts, but going deeper, it becomes apparent that it's in a kind of electronic warfare, appropriately leading up to the ingress into Scorpio. Mercury will finish the month out by transiting into the murkier territory of Scorpio starting November 29. Scorpio is a region of the Zodiac where, collectively, we confront the most existential of realities. The very issues are present. Matters of life and death, survival and extinction, sex, death, and God, and all the other uncivilized dinner conversation topics that act as powerful initiations and catalysts. As they cut down to the evolutionary origins of our existence, Communications take on an air of intensity and feel like they contain life and death struggles and a need to assert power and influence. Infusing these intense ingresses are a trine to Neptune on the 11th, which often makes communications take on a spiritual, inspirational, and poetic feel, expressing ideas using metaphor and word pictures which inspire mystical insight. The slippery slope is that it can also make deceptions more prone to being undetected until rude awakenings bring the corruption to the light of scrutiny. Following on November 16th is a Mercury sextile with Pluto. Communications take on an intensity and tenacity that predispose us to using words to explain salient mysteries and to penetrate deeply under the surface and communicate secrets. Internationally, we will see corruption come to media outlets and become widely known. Underlying this is the Sun conjunct Saturn aspect on November 12th. Simply stated, it becomes effortless to bring social ideals into manifestation and to concretize any social arrangements. A string of Mercury contacts then completes the month and further infuses, infuses the planetary ingress into the November signs. Starting November 21st is a Mercury sextile to Mars. Intense and active interaction can mark this period with an urgency felt under the surface. This is amplified by a Mercury-squared Jupiter on November 22nd. This aspect pattern can frustrate the sextile by magnifying breakdowns in communication, then amplified by that sense of urgency. A perfect storm develops where communication deficits can turn into conflict all made more intense by the sun's ingress into Scorpio on the 23rd and a Mercury conjunction with Saturn on the 25th, bringing all of these conflicts into the all-too-real level of events. Finishing up the month will be the final Mercury aspect on the 30th, where it trines Uranus. This incredibly harmonious aspect is much like watching a couple deeply in love with each other. Uranus is symbolic of the higher octave of Mercury, which is to say that Uranus represents the higher applications of intelligence. It takes the mercurial functions and converts them into higher order thought processes, technologies, and surprising, unsettling innovations in society. It is the aspect that possibly was occurring at the rise of the Internet or the dawn of the computer age. Given this frequency, it can lend itself to an ease in innovation. The area will most likely be computers and other higher-order technologies. Adding to this swirl of activity occurring is a sun-square-Neptune aspect, and all on the same day. Deception is the main warning sign to Words become vehicles to spin illusions that stand in for reality and seek to deceive our perceptions, possibly at the behest of powerful interests vying for control. Like anything on the Internet, take everything with a grain of salt, especially as it pertains to what one hears or reads. At the global scale, we could see massive disinformation and propaganda, which brings us to the international diplomacy of Venus. Venus has the power to link people indirectly and diffusely when working through the prism of Libra, which she will transit until November 19th, and then deeply and meaningfully, collectively and individually, when orbiting through Scorpio, which she enters on November 20th. And then ultimately, as it on-ramps to Ophiuchus in a catalytic and miraculous mode, creating collaborations as if by magical fiat. Venus is given a dose of rocket fuel when she enters a fire kiss on November 24th. An already deeply alluring and feminine energy then enters a sign symbolized by the Medusa and the goddess Lilith, both potent symbols of catalytic and creative feminine energy, but with a twist, an energy that works directly counter to established systems of patriarchal power and always at the grassroots level and using subtle processes with massive outcomes. When Venus does her shimmy wearing the tunic dress of the Medusa, her slithery hip gyrations will reverberate through every human heart and become a potent force for creation and change in the basic structure of society. On a global scale, there may be a renewed interest in the issue of gender equality in media and social discourse, and yet it will emerge in peculiar and under-the-radar ways. Infusing these ingresses are contacts made with Chiron, currently in Aquarius, forming a shrine with Venus on November 3rd, creating an opening to address the collective wounds we have inflicted on each other, and ways to collaborate in healing them and finding ways to unite humanity into a common framework. We become more predisposed to finding innovative ways to integrate the broken pieces of the collective psyche. November 9th signals the Venus square to Jupiter, a difficult aspect which often magnifies bifurcations in our social relations, both personal, intra- and transpersonal. There is a focus on these fault lines, and the silver lining is that through this confrontation, a movement towards balance and reciprocity becomes apparent by taking a diplomatic approach. November 12th marks the Saturn conjunction with Venus both in Libra, This is the sign of Saturn's exaltation, which is to say Saturn gets all of his desires when in Libra. And Venus and Saturn have a very easy relationship with each other. Venus wants to connect and harmonize in Libra, and Saturn wants to build a social matrix that organizes people into a society that is coherent, systematic, and functional. Putting these together means that it becomes much easier to build a social matrix that can unite humanity and its technologies into a system that eases the function of both and creates an environment of fairness and beauty, a truly civilized world. This represents a wrinkle in time when we could facilitate this. To add firepower to this is a square between Mars and Uranus occurring on the same day. It adds a caveat in that any unexpected conflicts could disrupt the diplomatic process and have far-reaching consequences, or technology could facilitate this process or also exacerbate existing conflicts. The final Venus contact occurs on November 20th and involves a square to Neptune. This can lend itself to being a inspired by the higher ideals of humanity and on the other side falling into the slippery slope of unrealistic expectations about how smoothly the transition to a truly global civilization will be. There will be much stumbling along the way, and there's no room for error of becoming blind to these difficulties by glossing over them with illusory idealisms. It is a reminder that love certainly can conquer all, but it is not all that is truly needed. Which brings us to the compressed power of Pluto. Pluto is in the long, slow burn through the sign Sagittarius, a sign that deals with foreign cultures, long-distance travels, and international destinations. In a word, it touches on the legal, social, and cultural foundations of international society. Given our world is becoming increasingly and inexorably global, an an inevitable transition with strong Plutonian themes When civil society has gone global and touches every conceivable international agreement and the people on the ground, it becomes unavoidable, and with the two major Pluto contacts throughout the month apparent. November 4th is the clarion call for the sun-sectile Pluto transit, and this is always a particularly delicious contact, and especially when in harmonious aspect, it is likened to the light penetrating the darkness and illuminating what is hidden. The sun in this aspect softens Pluto's grittiness. It lends itself to being able to illuminate self and finessing one's will in a haughty and seductive way so that those being persuaded don't even know they are surrendering their will to another as it feels empowering to the other. The help, and in every possible way, it is it bodes well for any international agreements that have a conflict element to them and lubricates the process of blending identity with collective will. The final Pluto contact of note of course, November 10th and involves a conjunction with Mars. Astrologers historically look upon these planets in aspect with abject and reactive negativity. Every feature of life contains some degree of risk. I would say in response, what else is new? Humanity has always lived with danger. Use it as a chance to rise to the occasion. That actually sums up the aspect in a nutshell. It provides an opportunity for personal will to align with collective will, a moment when we as individuals can effect global level changes by recognizing what our contribution is in the human evolutionary project. It could be a violent confrontation, and it could also be using a computer algorithm to shut down an oppressive system, or it could also be a peaceful act of civil disobedience, an activist speaking on an important issue, or the average Jane on the street volunteering for a project. In any case, it can shake out in myriad ways, and not all of them violent, but certainly intense and with a sense of urgency. Conjunctions also represent the fusion of the energies involved, and as such, it is emerging of the collective and the individual, which will hopefully benefit both. That concludes the November Report. I'll see you space travelers next month. Be sure to check me out on Facebook at Prometheus the Astrologer and read the column on thesidrealist.com. I'll see you next month.
0: You're listening to Revolution with host C Ludmers on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at Facebook.com slash Revolution with C.
1: And welcome back. Thank you for listening so far. <clears throat> this is normally the segment where we have people, uh, we offer the opportunity for people to call in and receive a reading live on the air. Uh, we actually don't have anyone that is called in uh, for the show today, and that's fine because people call in when they need to call in. People get readings when they need the readings, and sometimes maybe that just means things are going along smoothly for people and they aren't in a need for a lot of questioning or guidance. So the one thing I want to just offer you is I just pulled a card to say what is it that we need to simply know, think about, hear, Um, ponder uh, at this particular moment in time and whether you're listening to the show live or whether you're listening to it later in the archives I'm pulling this card specifically for what is it we need to hear at this moment that we are hearing it so the card that came up is very interesting because the card that came up is the death card And one of the key words that's on the deck that I'm using here is regenerate. Uh, The death card is often associated with Scorpio. Scorpio tends to be about dredging up a lot of the hidden, buried feelings, emotions, issues, and things, and bringing them to the surface, the uncomfortable, darker places that we don't want to deal with, the issues and the topics that we feel like we are not necessarily comfortable facing or going into. Um, And we are in the period of Scorpio right now, this month. Um, And so I think that the fact that this card came up really is just kind of putting an exclamation point on what we heard being talked about during the roundtable discussion, as well as what we heard being talked about um, with my guest, Nina Price. Because the death card is about recognizing what has lived its lifespan what has come to an end and no longer has anything left to offer us and being willing to let it go, being willing to shed the old, um, being willing to recognize the opportunity for transformation and the only way to do that is to create space for the new to be able to come in or to develop by removing the old which is taking up that space that no longer needs to be there. So really let this be a, a time when you are facing and working through and letting go of those things that no longer serve you, as Nina said, when you are being willing to question and perhaps dismantle some of the old structures that represent some of the belief systems we have operated under for a period of time that now no longer reflect who we want to be or who we want to become, as we talked about in the roundtable segment. Uh, This is a moment of transformation. This can be a time to completely Shift or change who you are or the direction your life goes, but the key is to be able to shed that weight that is holding you down or holding you back. And whether those are external things, whether those are simply the way we think about things, the fears we hold on to, etc. Uh, but now is the time, and this is a, a very opportune moment for moving forward into something new or radically, in some ways, shifting and changing and transforming something about ourselves, something in our lives, into something with new potential, into a new life, rebirthing it in some way. Um, But the key, of course, is to recognize and to remove what it is that no longer serves us, no longer is healthy. And in a sense, kind of like looking at everything and saying, what is it that feels heavy, burdensome, weighty, or or feels like a weight that we carry around, uh, and we often say or wish that we didn't have to deal with that, we didn't wish we have to have that, um, or we wish we weren't still having to put energy or resources to it, those are the kinds of things that it's now time to say that maybe it's time to let it go. Instead of trying to find a way to make it work, make it fit, keep it around, it's time to perhaps shed and let go. So maybe one of the things that Nina suggested you could start today, which is pick a number, doesn't have to she said 10, doesn't have to be 10, it could just be one thing, it could be 10 things. Um for her, she said it was 10 things a week over the course of a year, she said that she would ditch or get rid of 10 things a week. Maybe you decide to just do one thing a day to get rid of uh and You could do that in any way you want, whether it's physical or internal or whatever, Um, but something about clearing away the clutter, getting rid of the old, letting go of things that have been lingering or hanging around that we know perhaps no longer have anything to offer or serve us, it's now time to be willing to bring a close, let those rest in peace, and prepare for the regeneration Process to bring about something new in us or in our lives by creating, opening, and holding the space for that to actually be able to develop. So, thank you very much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, you can either Uh, Find information about the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash revolution with high C. You can always hear archives of any of the shows here on Blog Talk Radio or on iTunes. Just a quick search for Firefly Willows Live and you can find those. And I would invite you to join me for my other show this coming Tuesday uh, on the Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist that I co-host with Charlie Harrington. It will be airing Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Pacific, right here on Blog Talk Radio, uh, under Firefly Willows Live. Um, We'll be having an interview with Death herself. And our guest will be Yeshe Rabbit, talking to us about some very interesting and perhaps not very well-known oracle uh, and divination tools that she's offering um, readings from for New Year's readings for 2015 Uh, One is called Shagai, which is a bone divination technique from Mongolia, and the other one is called Mo, which is a dice divination technique from Tibet. So if that sounds intriguing to you, I would encourage you to join us on Tuesday at 8 p.m. Until next time, my thanks for listening, and I will look forward to being with you once again here on Blog Talk Radio for Revolution with High Sea in December on the second Sunday of the month.
0: Thank you for joining us. Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers brought to you by Firefly Willows LIVE. Find out more at slash revolution with c Please join us next time on Firefly Willows LIVE for Amethyst Oracle Divination with a Queer Twist with Heisey Lutmers and Charlie Harrington. Tuesday evening at 8 p.m.